question Dan asked stirred a memory of mine. Oh, about 15 years ago, I had a chance to uh, drive someone to the airport, and this person I was driving to the airport had been the president of the Christian college I attended, incredibly godly man, had been married for like 50 plus years, he was retired, and I was newly married, so it was probably closer to 20 years ago, and uh, his name was Dr. Armerding, and I was, I just, I'm kind of nervous because he's like this older godly man, I said, hey, I'm newly married, I'm just, what kind, what kind, what kind of advice could you give me, could you give me about marriage? I was expecting like these real spiritual, theological sounding answers. I got, I got two things for you. And he said, the first thing is, if your wife likes to squeeze the toothpaste and you like to roll it, just get two tubes. <laughs> I'm just like, and I, I, I won't, if you want to know what the second one is, I'll tell you that later, but that was a different, but I just thought, that's pretty profound <laughs> advice from a guy who's walked with God for 70 years and been married for 50. So uh, I just, when Dan said that, I thought that's a, so we'll just say to the Hendricks, just get two tubes. Get three or four tubes. Get whatever you need. Just share them, you know, so. Um, also, just so you know, I have to use Kangas head knee surgery, so one of the musicians thought this was appropriate to put a guitar thing up here to hold my cane. So just. <laughs> so anyway, I just, in case you're wondering what this is up here, so. So hey, uh, Dan had also had just read uh, a note from, uh, family shelter, but we also got a note this week from Positive Link. Positive Link is uh, the arm of the Bloomington Hospital that um, I was going to say does ministry to, but they're not a ministry. They're just a public uh, function. They, do, they work with people who have AIDS in the area. And for years, we've participated in the uh, Gifts of Grace, which is the Christmas uh, gifts for family members of the people they serve with AIDS. And also this year, as part of Peace and Give, I think, I don't know, it's like $2,000 we gave them in addition to that to help some of the people. So Amy Hayes, who's been here before I've interviewed, she wrote this note. She said, please accept this note along with our heartfelt thank you for your involvement again this year with Gifts of Grace Holiday Assistance Program. Uh, you were and continue to be, we've done this now for like 10 years, um, a valuable cog in the machine that helped make someone's life uh, a lot better. Your efforts also continue to warm the hearts of Positive Link staff, which is a blessing to us. So and it's signed by all the Positive Link staff. And it's what's interesting, it's not necessarily a Christian organization. Those who work there aren't necessarily Christian. Um, so I think in some ways we've kind of hopefully broken a little bit of a stereotype of their perception of what Christians and churches do and don't do. So um, anyway, that was from Positive Link. So just to let you know, again, we, one of the things we say here at X is we, we wanted to find our success by our capacity to give away and not accumulate, whether that's a personal definition of success or a church-wide definition of success. So we'll, we will always talk about how we give away money. Even this week, I got another video from one of the pastors in town we gave money to last semester, and we'll see that sometime in the future, because if you weren't here in the fall, we gave away $5,000 broken into $400 gifts to about 12 or 13 different pastors in Bloomington to kind of bless them and to encourage them with things that were part of their own passion. So just to let you know, that's how we think about things at Exodus, about giving and generosity. So let's pray, and then we're going to look into God's Word this morning. God, we, um, we believe in your Holy Spirit. And um, the word that comes to mind right now that we don't want to be is we don't want to be on autopilot. We don't want to go through rituals. We don't want to go through motions. Because we know that your Holy Spirit, on and on throughout the Bible and on and on throughout history, always explodes rituals, always explodes going through the motions. 
always explodes our comfort zones, always explodes our convenience levels. So Holy Spirit, we invite you We invite you among us this morning as a congregation, but we also invite you as individuals um, to explode our going through the motions and to disable our autopilot. Because we know with your power inside of us, uh, we can do far more than we've ever imagined. And we don't need to click on habit or ritual or patterns of comfortable behavior. So we're grateful that you do that. So would you teach us through your word this morning what you want us to understand and see and hear so we can become the kind of people you made us to be. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Here's a passage of scripture you've probably seen in some form in different places, whether you're a churchgoer or not. Uh, Philippians 4.13. Read it out loud with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This shows up a lot of places in our modern culture. First slide. Stephen Kerr in the NBA writes this on his shoe. All right, see on the front part of his shoe? I can do all things. Next slide. Tim Tebow, when he played at the University of Florida, he has Philippians 4.13 under his eyes. All right, he graduated a few years ago, but that's how he promoted that verse, or how that verse showed up. Next one. Believe it or not, from the Seattle Seahawks, he had it hanging around his neck. This was last year. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Couldn't find one to Bill Belichick. Anyway. <laughs> Next one, Evander Holyfield, heavyweight boxer. You notice he has Philippians 4.13 on his shorts, and he's autographed this picture with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next one. This is a public high school in Texas. The team's getting in a run through. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next one. For those of you who bike, this has Philippians 4.13 on a biking shirt. Next one. For those of you who want to wrestle with a wrestling singlet, believe it or not, you can buy this on Amazon.com. Anybody wrestle in high school? Maybe you could buy one of those and model that for us sometime. All right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And for those of us who are less risk-takers, we'll take the next one. Uh, oh, and this, and this is a big risk-taking. This is the tattoo. This is Dan Hendricks right here. This is Dan. You don't see this because he doesn't have his shirt off. And they use Roman numerals, Philippians 4, 13. A less risky tattoo is on the foot, Philippians 4, 13. And then for those of us who are really not risk-takers, just get a coffee cup, right? <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not at all... Not at all questioning the motive or the intention or the heartfelt spiritual um, thoughts behind these on people. Because I think they're genuine and understanding, and they really were trying to put out their Christ in them. We're going to look at that passage today and kind of get the context of it and try to figure out what exactly does that mean. Paul's the one who wrote it in the book of Philippians. What does it mean? What was he getting at? And how do, what does that mean? Does it, is it simply applied to athletes? Does it simply apply to, uh, you know, tattoos and body art and coffee cups? Or is there more going on with that? So here's the question of the morning. What can you do with the supernatural strength of Jesus that you could not do without? In other words, if Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, there's an assumption there are some things you could not even do unless you have supernatural strength of Christ. And we're not talking about three-point shots 
or boxing or football. What was he talking about? What about you? What are things, Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's not a moral religion. It's not simply a political religion. It's a, it's a belief that there are supernatural realities that can somehow infuse inside of us the spirit of Jesus and give us the ability to do things we could not otherwise do. What is that for you? What are you facing right now that you don't think you can handle? You don't think you have the strength to have? At least in and of yourself, you don't have that. So what we've been doing here the last few weeks and today, the last few months, here's today, this morning's the last day in the book of Philippians. So we've been calling it Living a Life of Abnormal Joy um, from Philippi to Kirkwood. Philippi was an ancient city, ancient Greece, part of the Roman world, but it was in what we now know as ancient Greece. And Paul talks about joy, and again, I'll ask this question, the last time I'll ask this, the last day of Philippians, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in prison. Uh, just this morning, somebody was telling me they were reading about Roman prisons. They basically dug holes in the rocks. The hole was big enough to drop a person down, and they would lower food down and other things, but they didn't take any waste out. Um, so it was cold, dark, damp, smelly. And Paul's writing, this book is known for how many times he talks about joy. So if there's anybody we want to learn about joy, it's probably from somebody who's been in situations that we would describe anything but joyful, right? So let me just read it. Uh, go to the next slide. I'm going to read Philippians 4, 10 to 23. I'm, it's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to follow along. This is the last part of Paul's letter to them. And then this includes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But this is his last, kind of his parting words to the Christians in Philippi. So just listen along, and then we'll talk about it. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Right? That's kind of a big statement for somebody to make who's in prison. Because in those days, uh, the only way they got fed is if people brought them food. There wasn't like a prison feeding program. All right? Plus, we'll find out more about Paul's life leading up to this point. So the fact that he can say, I've learned how to be content in any situation, is actually quite amazing. I know how to live in, with almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. All right, that's the context of that passage. Paul's talking about, I've learned to be content with a lot or with little. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. So often he would travel and they would help him out with money and finances and living expenses. Not everybody would, but in that case they did. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, another Greek city, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. In other words, I'm not manipulating you. you know, sometimes we say thank you to people because we're wanting to give more. Also, I'm not doing that. I'm just expressing gratitude. Um, I didn't say it because I wanted a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. He's like, he's in prison. How can he say that? I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, they brought him money and food to help him. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches that have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So the passage you may have known if you grew up in the church is, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches. So here Paul's not only saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not also saying, I've learned to be connect. But he's saying, God will take care of you all the time. 
And this is a guy who's in a dungeon right now saying this. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that Paul ends this letter. But let me just highlight a couple things Paul says that, again, I think somewhat, if we're honest, kind of blow us away. Go to the next slide here, Paul. There's the phrase again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says that, and again, I'm not questioning the motives of Tim Tebow or Stephen Curry or Evander Holyfield or coffee cup makers or wrestling with tight little singlets. Um, but I think Paul means a whole lot more than what we've understood to mean. And he says, I've learned how to be content, and my God will supply all your needs. What, what's your situation right now in which maybe contentment has eluded you? Maybe your marriage, maybe your financial situation, maybe your relationship situation, maybe your future career, maybe other issues. What is the situation you now find yourself in, and what is the discontent you may be feeling? I'm not saying you want things to get better, I mean, but the discontent, which is an issue of the soul, what, what is that situation for you right now? What's the situation you're facing that you know God's asking you to do something, whether it's forgive somebody, be generous with something, take a step of risk, a risk of faith, whatever. What's the step you sense God may be asking, but you just don't know if you have what it takes, don't have the strength of what it takes to be that kind of person or do that kind of action? What's in your life right now that you're questioning whether God's supplying all your needs? And you're questioning whether God really is good because you don't feel like, you don't see the money you need to see or the relationships you need to see. Whatever your needs are or perceived needs are, it's just not happening. But yet Paul's writing this in the context of being in prison. But furthermore, I want to give you a little sense of what Paul's life had been up to the, like up to this point. And I'm not saying this, please hear me, I'm not saying this for all of us to feel bad and say, oh, wow, none of us have it as bad as Paul. I shouldn't be so needy. I'm saying it because when you see what Paul's life like was up to this point and the fact that he can still say this, I'm saying this because what I mean is there is a power available to all of us through the Holy Spirit that we can be just like Paul. So I'm not saying compare yourselves to Paul, feel bad because I always feel off worse than you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not, well, there's always beyond this people in Africa who don't have food. I shouldn't feel bad. It's not the gospel. The gospel is look and see what people can do when they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And that's the kind of person you can be. Let me just give you a little background on Paul's life. All right? This is from Acts chapter... Most of Paul's life can be accounted in the book of Acts. All right? Acts chapter 9, Paul becomes a Christian. He had been a Jewish leader. He had been actually persecuting Christians. He had enough clout in the Jewish religion that he was given the authority to persecute and even bring them to death. He becomes a Christian. So in Acts chapter 9, the Jews, of course not liking this, they plot to kill him. Acts chapter 9, he's in Jerusalem, now in a different city. The Jews want to try to murder him. Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are now in a city called Antioch. In this case, the Jews, the, the, he had opponents that were jealous. They incited a mob against him, and they slandered him. All right? So he's had two murder threats, and now slander. Kind of lots of hard opposition. It's a hard situation to be in. Acts chapter 14, now they're in Iconium. A mob, again, decided to attack and stone them. All right? Two murder attempts. Two. Now, 
a mob before, and now a mob that's trying to stone them. Acts chapter 15. <coughs> Paul has a, a strong argument with people. Other Christians, actually. But Paul has a strong argument. Sometimes we don't know how to have strong arguments with people without falling into our flesh and being kind of manipulative and mean-spirited. Acts chapter 16. This is now Paul in Philippi. So he's writing the Philippians, but he had been there before with Silas. And there was a young girl who was a, uh, uh, they said she was, the Bible said she was demon-possessed, but she could tell fortunes. She could tell people's future. And somebody made a lot of money on this young girl. And she was following around Paul and Silas, saying, this is the servants of the Most High God. I mean, she was basically being a distraction. And Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cast the demon out of this young girl totally destroying the possibility of making money that her owners had made. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities. They were stripped and beaten, the Bible says, severely with wooden rods. This is Paul's life at this point. Beaten, severely with wooden rods, and then they were imprisoned. Acts chapter 17, Paul's now in a town called Thessalonica. In this case, they drag out some of Paul's Christian friends so they couldn't find Paul, so now Paul is bearing the burden of some of his friends are suffering because of what he's preaching about Jesus. Acts chapter 17, Paul's in a town called Berea. They went there and people stirred up trouble for Paul. It's like wherever Paul went, there was a riot. And people getting drug around and stoned. Acts chapter 17 again, he was called a babbler and people showed contempt for him. Acts chapter 19, a great riot in the city of Ephesus because Paul was stirring. Acts chapter 20, he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. Nothing surprising to Paul. This is like, what, five times now? Acts chapter 21, he's in Jerusalem, and a prophet actually tells him, if you go to Jerusalem, Paul, you will be bound up. And Paul's like, I'm going to go anyway. In other words, he was saying, you're going to be in prison. Paul said, I'm going anyway. Acts chapter 23, there were 40 Jews that bound themselves with an oath to eat nothing until they had killed Paul. Acts chapter 27 and 28, Paul is sent to Rome. He endures a terrible storm. All hope is lost. He's part of a shipwreck. He's bitten by a poisonous snake, and he's put in house arrest. This is the guy who says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He has a track record, doesn't he? He's not saying that like in some kind of a, ooh, I can do all things. He's not saying, he's not talking about contentment in a plastic fake kind of way. He's not talking about God supplying all of his needs out of some kind of a wish dream. He has experience with this. He's seen over and over God rescue him from death, stoned, whipped, and all kinds of other things. But yet he has this, when you read the book of Philippians, there's like a settledness to Paul that defies, for me at least, defies human logic. How can, how can he say that? If anything... What I'd be saying to God was, God, look at all that I've done for you. Can I have a break? Can I just have a little bit of a break? Can I get out of this stinking, smelling prison? I just want to go home and sit in air conditioning and watch ESPN for a little bit. I want to do some. I want a break, God. I want a break. Kind of this, which we all know, kind of this sense of, God, I just, why can't you pull through? Why can't you? Paul's not like that. And I read this, and no, I don't want to be in prison like Paul. I don't want to be whipped and beaten and stoned. But I'd love to have the soul that Paul has right now. Because there's a contentment and a settleness and a strength about him that is incredible. And not to mention, I didn't mention all the times in Acts where God gives Paul supernatural power for supernatural miracles. People are healed because of God's work in him. 
And I find it interesting, I think those two things go together. The willingness to suffer for Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of power to, to do supernatural things to bring attention to Jesus. So it, it's like Paul kind of defies this logic. Here's what I want to do now. We're gonna, I'm actually going to play a song. Um, I just heard this song this week, but I love this song. It's called It Is Well. It's actually kind of a playoff of the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to play the first part of it. Because this whole, this whole song is a sense of, it is well with my soul. And I, I, don't, I don't know all of your situations. I know some of your situations. I know some of you are looking for work. I know some of you are looking for a more fulfilling marriage. I know some of you are looking for a marriage partner. I know some of you are looking for financial security. I know some of you are looking for strength to go on when there's health issues. I know some of you are taking care of aging parents and it's draining your spirit. I know there's a lot of issues we're all facing. But how do we, fa- how do we become the kind of people that say, it's, but it's wealth in my soul? Not in a way that's like fake. I, I, you know, the whole, the whole what I call the plastic Jesus smile. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. I mean, that's not at all Paul. You can't say that when you're sitting in dirt and dung in a prison. You can't say that. He says it with strength. So uh, Paul Costanzi on this one. <laughs> Once you go to the, play the first part of the song, I just want to listen to the spirit of what she's saying. And I would actually, this song is called It As Well, but I, I've kind of renamed it just for this morning. It's the song of Paul. It's the song of the heart of Paul. Oh 
again, that's, I'm not putting this up there for all of you to think, oh, how small my problems are. All of our problems are small compared to Paul's. I'm putting that up there because I want you to realize how big the Holy Spirit is. Because if he can give somebody like Paul that kind of strength to be content and at peace and to say, I can do anything when God gives me strength. I can forgive that person who hurt me deeply. I can forgive my spouse who hurt me, hurt me deeply. I can do what God asked me to do. I can take this risk God's asked me to do because he will give me the strength to do that. You know, you hear these stories. I mean, this, for some reason, you know, we, we hear about Jesus forgiving people, and it's kind of like, oh, that's Jesus. But now this is a human being. I mean, Jesus was human, but now this is Paul. He's doing some incredible things. And history is full of men and women who's, who followed Jesus, who have had strength to do things that people thought was outlandish. If you see the movie Unbroken, Louis Zamperini was an Olympic athlete, then was, long story short, he was shipwrecked, he was captured by the Japanese in World War II treated horribly, abused horribly by the Japanese um, guards, came back to the United States. His whole goal was revenge. He wanted to go back to Japan and kill the guards. <laughs> Actually went to a Billy Graham crusade, became a follower of Jesus, and now wanted to go back to Japan because he wanted to forgive his captors. How do you do that? Where do you get that kind of strength? That's the kind of strength I want. I remember reading about a college president, a different one, a college president years ago who was right at the prime of his leadership game and was diagnosed that his wife had Alzheimer's. His name was Robertson McQuilkin. All of his friends said, oh, you're right at the top of your leadership game as a Christian leader. You need to kind of just find a nice home for your wife to be in, go visit her occasionally, but you got to be a leader that God called you to be. And he said, no, my first commitment was to my wife. I'm quitting as a college president in the prime of his game I'm going to stay at home with my wife the rest of my life. Where do you get that kind of strength? To do what is unnoticeable, but to do it's the right thing. Mother Teresa was told many times she shouldn't even go into ministry. And then she goes and takes care of lepers who are dying and stinking. Where do you get that kind of strength? And like I said before, I know some of you have struggled with... Uh, being out of work or trying to find a job and how do you find the strength I'm not talking about physical perseverance you can do that with caffeine <laughs> I'm talking about the strength to keep trusting that God's going to bring something good in your way or you, some of you who have struggles with your marriage and you've maybe thrown up the white flag and you've given up ah, I'm just going to coexist but where do you get the strength the supernatural ability to keep trusting God that he can bring wholeness and healing to your marriage or like I said before, what about the person that's hurt you deeply and you think, I can't. <laughs> if you knew, Matt, what this person did to me, you wouldn't tell me to forgive them. I know Paul seems to have a pretty gracious, forgiving spirit toward those who tried to stone him, beat him, beat him with rods, lash him. There's nothing you can't do without the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And the church is called to be a community of people who live supernatural lives, not just moral lives. Not just people who vote for the moral majority or do good things and do good works. Yes, we should do good works to the poor, but what should mark us more than anything else is supernatural ability to do things that defy human logic, like forgiveness, like generosity, like stepping into a, into a future that's unknown except God told you to go there. 
That's the kind of strength I want to have. I, mean, I, I read these passages about Paul, and I think, I, I want to be just like that. And yeah, my problems are like this compared to Paul's, maybe even this. But then I think, wow, if, if he can have the kind of, if the Holy Spirit and the supernatural realities of God can bring him to a place of settledness and joy and peace and contentment, and confidence in the goodness of God to take care of him in all situations, and he's sitting in mud and human excrement in the bottom of a dungeon, having scars all over his body from times he's been whipped and beaten? If he can be like that in that situation, how big must the Holy Spirit be? How big must God be? If we simply are willing to unconditionally invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of our lives. Because Paul didn't just become that way. He understood he had to say to God, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. An unconditional, you have me. You own me, Jesus. That's how, that's how Paul got that way. He didn't just, he's not just gritting his teeth and, mm, I'm going to be tough and persevere. That's, that's, that's macho, and that's not a biblical quality. He's got a perseverance and an ability that, again, defies human logic. But coupled with that, it's an ability to experience joy. It's an ability to, through him, perform miracles, which we believe still happen today and can still happen today. So whatever you're facing, whatever is the mountain in front of you, whatever you don't think, or whatever God may put in front of you, who knows what's going to happen this week, next week, next month, next year and i'm not saying morbid things i'm saying god may put a challenge in front of you he may put a risk in front of you he may put suffering in front of you he may put being mocked or persecuted in front of you and you're going to have a decision point where you can decide are you going to allow the spirit of god to give you the strength to keep going or are you going to throw up the white flag and quit because it's really it, the spirit of resignation is really easy to give into i've been there and i've done that instead of saying you know what I'm going to keep moving forward because I know what God can do through me. So that's my challenge uh, to all of you this morning, to all of us this morning, is um, see what God can do. Don't ever underestimate God. Don't have, underestimate the power of His Spirit. Don't, en- don't underestimate the kind of strength you can have inside of you. What Paul had, you can have. No, no difference. None. And whatever mountain you're facing, whatever struggle you're facing, you have a supernatural resource that will enable you to go through that. And on the other end, there's joy, there's peace, there's contentment, there's goodness. Uh, Let's pray. I'm going to ask just right now, if, if if, if you're here this morning and you just feel like, you know, there's... And you're one of the, you may be facing what you consider as an immovable mountain in front of you, or you may be facing a situation that you know requires a strength of soul that you know, humanly speaking, you don't have. Or you're facing a challenge that God's put before you that you're not sure you want to take that risk. And you're not sure if you have the strength to go to the next step. Um, but you want that, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes open. I'm going to ask you to stand up if that's you. Just acknowledging, not to me, but even to yourself and to God, that you're saying, I, I, I know I'm facing an immovable mountain and I'm tempted to give up and go into resignation or even to get angry, but I know there's a way 
of contentment, peace, and joy, and of power. So I'm just going to ask you if you'd stand up. And this is not to say, of course, that those sitting don't have struggles, but we all will, we all do. So God, my prayer is for these, uh, your sons and your daughters who are standing, who have acknowledged this moment in time, a unique, desperate heart cry of a need. Um, They can do all things through you, Christ, who can strengthen them. So God, we pray right now for the supernatural strength of your Holy Spirit in these people, in these individuals, in these souls that you call your sons and daughters. And may they walk into this week, may they walk into their challenge, may they walk into it, and would you give them a it is well with my soul kind of strength. Not passivity, not resignation, not oh well, but strength. And in that strength, will they, would they find a joy they've never experienced? Would they find a peace they've never known? And would they find a contentment that seems irrational to them? And I pray that for those who are standing, and I pray for all of us here, even those of us sitting, because all of us will face those challenges. And we know, God, your promise is there's joy on the other side. Not the other side of life, not just in heaven, but there is joy if we follow you and trust you and open up the doors of our heart wide open for you to do and pour into our hearts and our spirits anything you want to pour into. And we're grateful. And again, God, would you bless these, your sons and daughters, uh, with the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We finish every Sunday at Exodus with... uh